Welcome to Agnes Scott College's podcast series. This series features a variety of topics and themes from different offices and departments of Agnes Scott College, all exploring our mission to think deeply, live honorably, and engage the social and intellectual challenges of our time. Before I tell you a bit about myself, I would like to introduce today's topic, inequities and mental health as it pertains to this COVID-19 pandemic. This is the second part of the COVID series following the conversation we had last week on the social and cultural implications of COVID-19. Again, my name is Sam. I am a rising junior this year, class of 2022, and I'm really excited about this conversation because mental health is something I'm extremely excited about. In fact, I am a psychology major with a double minor in art and theater, hoping to one day be a therapist. For now, I work in the one and only Diversity and Inclusion Office, where we strive to make students feel not only seen, but heard on campus by holding events, workshops, webinars, having keynote speakers and safe spaces for students to feel welcomed and able to express themselves. Other than that, I am on the Safe Zone Committee for LGBTQ Awareness and Support. I am the treasurer of, of Ignite Poetry Collective and a Posse Scholar. At Agnes, we strive to think deeply, live honorably, and engage in the intellectual and social challenges of our times, which I can contest is true. Before I introduce the panelists, I wanna let you all know that you are one of 50 plus people who have logged on, so please feel free to engage in the chat room with what town you're viewing from and any tips or stories you have about the topic, if you're comfortable. Towards the end of the discussion, we will take questions from you all. Now to introduce the panelists. First, we have Joelle Attire Roberts. She is a second year PhD student in social epidemiology and a pre-doctoral biosocial trainee at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Biology from Agnes Scott College and an MPH from Georgia State University. Before beginning her doctoral program, Joelle worked at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention where she focused on initiatives to address health disparities in cancer prevention and control. Her current research interests have health equity at its core and aims to understand how social factors underpin racial and ethnic differences in disease outcomes. Joelle is also interested in investigating social and structural factors such as racial discrimination and neighborhood environments that impact the health outcomes of racial minorities. Then we have Dr. Janelle S. Pfeiffer. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and assistant professor. She founded and leads a private therapy practice in downtown Decatur, Georgia. Her specialties include working with those have who have experienced trauma, young adults navigating their emergent identities, and couples and families processing life transitions. Dr. Pfeiffer believes in low barrier solution-focused therapy rooted in evidence-based practices that honor the complexities of our identities. Our final panelist is Tamiko Jenkins. She is a licensed clinical social worker and currently serves as the Senior Associate Dean of Students at Agnes Scott College. She provides oversight of the health and well-being of all students on campus, supervising the Counseling Center, Student Health Services, Religious and Spiritual Life, and Student Outreach and Education to ensure the college recognizes a holistic approach to supporting students. She has a Bachelor's of Arts in Sociology from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte and an MSW from the University of Georgia. 
She has over 15 years of experience in mental health field, being in private practice, working on a trauma unit in a military hospital, and serving as a family therapist for families involved in the foster care system. Now that we know a little bit about our amazing panelists, let's hear their thoughts on how this panic, pandemic exasperated mental health issues and may have triggered new ones. We can start with Joelle. Joelle, do you wanna begin that question or answering that question? Sure, so um, <laughs> first I wanna thank the Center for Global Diversity and Inclusion for having me here today. Um, I think this is a really important conversation and I'm excited to be here virtually with my panelists and the participants of the panel to really engage in this conversation. Um, so to answer your question, Sam, I think of um, the exacerbated effects or mental health effects on um, individuals in the COVID time in three larger bubbles, but it doesn't necessarily encompass everything, but just things that I'm thinking about. So first, how stress and fear really are impacting pretty much everyone in the world right now and what that means to not only be dealing with the fear and concern for your own health, but the fear and concern of the health of your loved ones and people closest to you. Really thinking about those who themselves or their loved ones are potentially immunocompromised. They have a number of other co-occurring chronic conditions. They're at increased risk. Uh, those who are living in confined spaces like where the epidemic really started to peak in nursing homes or even those who are currently incarcerated in, in carceral facilities, what does that mean for their health and how they can navigate that space um, and I think there's additional mental tolls for those who have already experienced loss from COVID-19 and that potential survivor's guilt that people may be experiencing and could exacerbate current conditions and mental health conditions. Um, I also think a lot about the tremendous media exposure that everyone is kind of divulging in at the same time and the number of news media, social media, and just all these media outlets that are kind of like a barrage of what's currently being covered. And you yourself have to navigate um, the potential misinformation as well as just the sheer amount of information that you're receiving, right? So what's true, what's not true? How do I navigate what next steps are to come, especially in a circumstance where things are very indefinite and it doesn't really feel like it has an end? So determining how to navigate that information can be stressful. And then lastly, I think a lot about the groups who are most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic, um, especially around mental health. So thinking about those who had pre-existing mental health conditions that they were either navigating or treating via therapy or other medications of that nature. And what does that look like in this new age of social distancing? What does their care and treatment look like long-term that has completely been flipped on its head in a matter of weeks? Um, and then I also think about what it means to be safe at home when for a lot of people, home isn't really a safe space. So I'm thinking about um, non-binary, non-conforming individuals who may not feel comfortable to go home because they have a fear of being misgendered. I think of those who may have a spouse, partner, parent who could be um, physically or emotionally abusive and what does it mean to be safe at home for those individuals. Um, those who are our frontline workers, right? So the nurses, doctors, um, parametrics are on the front lines, but also those who are our grocers, those who are custodial staff, those um, immigrant farm workers who are making sure that our stores are stocked with a number of foods for us to still maintain some small source of normalcy during social distancing. And they're doing really invaluable work, but what does that mean um, at a cost for their health outcomes? I don't know if Janelle, you guys had anything else to add? 
Um, yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said, Joelle, and echo your thanks for creating like this, that this forum exists and we can have these conversation. Um, and what I would add is that um, what Joelle alluded to is it really puts under a microscope a lot of what was already there. Um, a lot of the inequities in our healthcare system and our mental health care system are just magnified um, just by an incredible magnitude. Um, so thinking about how then we have to not only respond to that magnification, but after a prolonged state of being in this stressed and strained position with less access to resources, we always know in mental health that prevention is always much more um, beneficial than intervention sometimes. So we do really need to be thinking strategically, how are we going to respond to the increases in anxiety and depression that we're already seeing, substance use, um, domestic violence, um, and particularly as it pertains to these different identity factors that Joelle pointed out. I completely agree with um, my fellow uh, panelists. I. Um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to engage in this very important dialogue as well. Um, just to echo or join in with some of the uh, information that's already be sh been shared, I'll just really highlight um, just the impacts of the continuous online format for folks and their mental health. Um, you know, we're reading so much and hearing so much about Zoom fatigue, right? Um, and just how being online and not being able to engage in person um, with other people really throws people off of their usual schedules and routines. And so we're hearing a lot of sleep, sleep disturbance and a lot of issues with appetite either being increased, decreased, um, mood being impacted. And so those are the sorts of things that we really like to watch as mental health professionals um, because they really can set folks up to experience other um, mental health issues uh, if they go on for too long and if the intensity increases a lot. Um, but I'm also thinking a lot about um, what it's like to be neurodiverse. Um, you know, showing up in an online community, um, if you have sensory processing issues, if you have a learning disability, um, this can be incredibly intense um, for folks that show up with those um, types of um, disabilities. And so that can have long lasting impacts on mental health as well. And so we're really just tracking mental health um, as sort of trending as an epidemic that's coexisting with the pandemic at this time. Thank you. I feel like those were great insights because I do agree that it's really important to be able to recognize this increase of added stress and anxiety during this time, which leads us to our next question. Um, speaking more on this incline in mental health triggers, pre-pandemic versus now versus future, what does mental health look like? Janelle, you can start, Dr. Pfeiffer. <laughs> I'm happy to start off. Um, <laughs> group. Um, I think that we are at a crossroads in deciding how the post-pandemic world will look generally. Um, we really are at a point of reckoning of having to think in pretty revolutionary ways about how we're going to address um, this concern that's impacting us at a global level. Um, and this sort of revelation of like our interconnected um, like 
futures and what that looks like in a really concrete way. So a lot of the work that like the center was already doing is now exemplified. Like we're global, we're connected. What happens to one of us impacts all of us. We really need to do this not only from like this altruistic standpoint and ethical standpoint, but from like a pure, like our worlds and our, we're yoked to one another. So I think we're at a point of like really being, having the opportunity to think creatively about this. Um, and one of the unfortunate things is I think that the, that's, that takes a long time for society to catch up to thinking in that way, to really being ready to revolutionize and think in new ways than what has been done before. Um, so in thinking about the post-pandemic mental health future, we have the opportunity to be able to address the concerns we have, not just highlight them. So for instance, the media likes to talk about how these inequities and um, that exist and how people with different identity factors, socioeconomic status, gender, sexual identities may be disproportionately impacted on this. And it almost gets to a point where people become desensitized to it. They take it for granted and it's very othering. They're like, oh, this thing is about them. Um, it's not about me. And it almost can become almost like fetishized to focus on how this one group is suffering when if, if you feel like it's othered from you. So I think when this post-pandemic future is the possibility to think about those interconnections between us in some really critical ways and how our functioning, how all of us being able to work together healthily is better for everyone. It's not something that can be put off to the side or as a consideration that happens in the corner. It's essential to our very functioning. Um, so one way that we have this opportunity is to think about low barrier, low stigma access to mental health care. Teletherapy can bring therapy into places that months before we were talking about that psychologists couldn't get into rural communities, that they couldn't reach people who needed high quality trauma um, treatment in communities that didn't have a therapist or psychologist in town. We've clearly seen in a very short period of time, that's not true. We can be there. That teletherapy with access to Wi-Fi hotspots for those sorts of things, we could reach people for a much lower like, scale of cost than we were in the past. And there's no reason why we can't hold on to that moving forward. Um, and additionally, the destigmatization. Um, teletherapy comes with a lot of pluses and minuses, but one of those, um, one of the positives is that there is something raw about being in your home environment, being out of the context of the hustle of bustle of trying to pop over to a therapy appointment um, in the middle of the day, trying to get out of, um, you know, if you're a shift worker, trying to get permission for your boss to let you go to a therapy appointment, for instance. Now we have this a way to make it accessible and bring it to the communities where they are, um, how they are. I think that that's fantastic. I also think that, um, that we have the ability to like think about public access to mental health care as a huge part of the response. One of the things we have to attend to. Um, we can't neglect that there is a secondary crisis that's going on at a mental health level. And we know that the calls for um, reports of like child abuse, for instance, are like down 60 to 70%, which is really concerning. Um, that means that the teachers, the coaches, the clinicians who are keeping eyes on children who may be in vulnerable position aren't right now. Um, so we really need to think about how to ramp up that care. How are we doing check-ins on vulnerable populations? How are we um, thinking preventatively about some of the things that we can just anticipate after all of this, there's gonna be a mental health crisis peak. Like there's going to be people who were even functioning at like a typical level before um, reflecting on the, the state of being in a, a, a place of ongoing stress and strain and unpredictability. So we have the ability to forecast and be prepared in the way 
way that we weren't for the virus itself. Um, the experts in the community can kind of look and see this is what's coming and let's align our resources. Let's think about creatively how to attend um, and make it happen. Um, so I think that we are at that crossroads and I'm glad, you know, Agnes Scott um, students or Scotties are always engaged with the idea of how do we engage with the um, intellectual and social challenges of our time in creative ways. Um, so thinking about, yeah, how do we bring this to the people who need it proactively and not wait until we have a peak in suicides, not wait until our substance use is out of control and it's really impacting at a public health level. What can we do now? Thank you so much. Um, before moving on, I just want to welcome anyone who is still joining into the uh, webinar. We are up to almost 70 participants right now, um, so thank you. Now, all the panelists kind of touched on this, but to dive deeper, um, what implications have, has COVID-19 had in working with vulnerable populations that have historically been marginalized through systemic oppression, such as the LGBTQ community, DACA, undocumented communities, students of color, et cetera, who, has, who as a result may have limited access to mental health resources. And a follow-up to that, how can people be more intentional in advocating for these populations, especially now? I think a lot, like in, as a social epidemiology student, we think a lot about how socially constructed phenomena have consequences for health, right? And in this case, for mental health. And I think reiterating Janelle's point that there are systems that have been existing that create barriers to employment, lack of access to healthcare, housing discrimination, high poverty rates, mass incarceration, just all these systems that have been existing from baseline, right? So this has already been happening under normal circumstances. So when you put on this layer of a pandemic, it's just gonna be exacerbated tenfold. And it's really highlighting the inequities that were already there. But I think, again, getting back to Janelle's point that we just don't want to continue to reiterate what the disparities are. And we need to really put a focus on addressing them. And I think um, for COVID specifically, I think the language needs to be less about individuals' individual behaviors and more about the systems that are acting that are limiting their access to mental health. So it's not that, oh, certain populations just aren't going to receive care. Well, no, certain populations aren't able to receive care because they're not in a space, whether it be the place that they're in, the neighborhoods, the laws, the policies, the fear, a number of circumstances that are preventing them from receiving care rather than, oh, it's just this group not going to receive care. Um, and in terms of advocacy, I think, like Janelle mentioned as well, we really need to have tailored and culturally competent um, interventions and resources that don't have this uh, one-size-fits-all approach. So when you think about if you go to a medical doctor, a medical doctor is not going to ask each patient the exact same questions and give them the exact same care. So we need to have that same mindset when we're going into the mental health space that each individual needs to have tailored care and it really needs to be at the outright and at the onset rather than as an afterthought. So I think we have to have um, these culturally tailored interventions and resources, but also it has to be trauma-informed. So really calling out that there's levels of privilege and systems that are really acting that are disadvantaging marginalized groups. And it's not just the individual's behaviors, but these larger systems that need to be addressed as well. Thank you all. Oh, that was like very well said. There's definitely more to be done to like help these communities that many of us are a part of. Um, and we can't do it alone and there are so many steps still needed to be done. So thank you for shedding some necessary light on this topic.
um, now to sort of help drive the point for our listeners on the mental health implications of this pandemic. I was hoping that our panelists could share a story of an individual that stands out to them as it relates to COVID-19 before we open up the Q&A portion. I'm thinking of um, a story of a friend. Um, you know, we've talked some about grief here um, and we recognize uh, five stages typically if you go by the Kubler-Ross uh, model. Um, and there's a sixth stage that might be brought into conversation that really talks about finding meaning um, when we're grieving. And so um, I have a friend who really was challenged with um, a lot of mental health issues in context to grieving and loss, um, losing friends to COVID, um, combined with having a son that was scheduled to graduate this year. Um, so that was a loss that he was also processing and unpacking. And he decided to do something um, to put some action to how he was feeling. And uh, he started a campaign to raise money uh, to purchase a mask, cloth mask for the homeless. And um, it was a beautiful, or has been a very beautiful campaign um, in turning that grief into um, finding some meaning and putting it to action. Um, because we understand that wearing the mask really does help in terms of protection. And if you're homeless or if you don't have access to resources in order to purchase a mask, um, you could be left vulnerable um, in order uh, to be exposed to COVID-19. And so um, I really, really um, applaud when you can arrive to a place um, to finding meaning, not to say that any of us should rush um, any of the grief feeling uh, that we're experiencing. It's a very individualized journey. Um, and wherever you are and whatever you're feeling is what you need to feel and experience. Um, but I think for him, in order to help his healing process, getting involved in raising money and being able to provide masks um, for folks without resources um, really helped, has really been helpful in his healing journey. Um, and I just so applaud his ability to step outside of um, himself and give back to the community in, in that way. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Um, talking about this, although it's difficult, is really necessary. And I really love how um, some of you added in how they they're using coping skills and tools to get through this. And it's it's very helpful for us to listen to these kinds of stories. So thank you. Um, at this time, I would like to open up the floor for questions from the public. So I have a few right here. Um, what resources or lists are available to share for access to mental health services? If anyone wants to jump on that. <laughs> I will highlight that there's a good, um, in the chat box, there is a good list that we've been sprinkling throughout. Um, the Wellness Center has some resources that they particularly curated for students, um, which I think is a great 
place to start. Um, and it looks like there's more popping up all the time in this chat box. Um, so definitely scroll through there, copy and paste the ones that seem like they would be helpful. Um, and always know, especially for folks who are affiliated with Agnes, a great first step is to go to the Wellness Center um, and be connected to resources. And there are some crisis lines as well. If you even just Google kind of like your, there's GCAL, the Georgia Crisis and Access Line um, that has some um, support. There's the National Suicide and Prevention Line there are some really good resources that are available and have been ramped up. Thank you. Um, I, oh, I'm sorry, Sam. I was sorry. just going to, um, I couldn't see the text box. And so I, I'm, I'm very grateful for all the information and resources that are being uh, shared. A big thank you to Dr. Uh, Katie Gingsky, who's our Director of Counseling and Psychological Services um, on campus, who's sharing all of our beautiful resources. Um, for students that are um, uh, students at Agnes Scott College, um, given my role on campus, if ever I can be of any support in getting you connected directly with resources, I invite you um, to send me an email anytime. Um, as such, I know Katie uh, also would welcome those emails. And so if we can get you directly connected, very happy to do that. Just feel free to reach out to us via email. Thank you so much for adding that. Um, another individual said, I'm curious how COVID-19 will impact individuals' ability to develop their cross-cultural skills given the mental health challenges it prevents. Yeah, I think um, it's a great opportunity. Um, and I know that there are so many clinicians and researchers and public health professionals um, who are out there doing these sort of webinars and outreach as really accessible training in the same way that um, therapy can be more accessible with the utilization strategically of these digital means. Um, I think we can do the same for trainings um, to be able to get them to people who need them, um, to be able to package and prepare them coming through our psychological associations and counseling associations. Um, so I think that there are really great opportunities for people to overlay and and um, beef up their skills in this domain. Um, and thinking about identity is a huge part of the case conceptualization, conceptualization process as we think about functioning. Because yeah, we wouldn't, um, we, we can't um, deny that identity is going to inform how your mental health picture presents. It's undeniable. Like nobody would say that me being a mother isn't going to impact the way that I see the world and this particular stressors that I experience. In a similar sort of way, any of the facets of our identity. So I think that it's a great opportunity for trainings. Thank you. Um, I, would, I would just add, Sam, or just to really echo what Janelle said, Beautifully is, you know, it's an opportunity to not shy away um, from very important training. You know, for most people that are um, licensed in the field, we're required every uh, cycling of licensure to have ethics. Ethics is the big. Um, and I would love to see a move towards really requiring um, cultural competence um, and sensitivity to what's required um, so that folks that are providing um, mental health as well as physical health are not approaching this with a one and done, right? That it's a constant um, 
part of training, which may be, I'm, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And so for me, um, ethics is required, um, but it is not required that I have um, cultural competency um, and sensitivity. Um, it's something I could choose to do. Um, and I would propose um, licensing boards really looking at a requirement so that folks don't want and done, but just continue um, to uh, take this into consideration. Yeah, and just really briefly, I think along with that, um, trainings on implicit bias have been around for years, and I think this is a great opportunity for those engaged in this work to contribute in that space and engage in um, implicit bias, bias trainings in addition to cultural competency trainings. Thank you. Um, another individual wrote, uh, as a person who works as an essential worker, I have a lot of anxiety about continuing to work. I'm faced with going to work to make money that I need and staying home to stay safe and not getting sick. What advice would you get, give about easing anxiety while having to work during this time? Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that. Um, if none of the other panelists feel as like hyped up to respond to that. Um, the first thing that I would say is um, that, yeah, this is the first thing I'm often like, I often grapple with in my clinical work, a feeling of I don't um, want to be pouring water on folks as they're in a fire that I don't think should be there. Right. So it, my goal is not to patch up people enough to continue to perpetuate the same systems that are oppressive to them, um, you know, and that the first thing that I would want to name and definitely engage with is that that's a that's a really a difficult position to be in and to feel like you have to be in that position when systemically there should be options that make it that you don't have to make that choice um, and validating that first and foremost. Um, then, of course, we live in the world that we do. So in the moment, what tools may be helpful to cope um, as you're trying to strategically think about if there is a way to maybe get out of that position um, or to make a decision that feels agentic where you're able to make some choice with agency, which may or may not take a long time to do, is definitely have a therapist or somebody, a counselor who is there advocating for you and being able to surf the difficulty of that experience with you. Um, taking advantage of building the resources to to be able to cope even in situations that are unfair um, and unjust. Um, it might be doing some regulation strategies so you're not adding on top of the um, risks to you because we know that your that stress and strain ongoing actually dampens and hampers your immune system. So that we know that things like mindfulness and, um, and being able to utilize meditation and those sorts of tools bolster our immune system. Um, so working with somebody who may be able to help you utilize some of those tools. Um, being able to share your story as much as possible so that people are making a community and advocacy um, approach on your part. Um, and then thinking about those things that give you life that you can um, get that are important parts of your holistic wellness. So having people who care for you, who are there for you, um, who you can talk about your experience on a daily basis, um, journaling, being able to express and creatively put into words and embodiment this unspoken stress 
strain that often we carry around. Um, and then um, thinking about those other things that are individual, one size fits all, um, bubble bath sort of things sometimes. Um, but those would be a little bit different. What are those sort of revolutionary things that you need to be well? Um, but yeah, I, I'm sorry that you're in that situation and I feel for you. I also have um, a lot of um, compassion um, and, and want to offer sincere gratitude for the work that you're doing and just wanted to add some additional thoughts just in terms of um, how we might be able uh, to support your wellness um, as you fulfill the, the responsibilities of your role. Um, I'm hopeful that your employer has an, an assistant, uh, an EAP, Employer Assistance Program, that maybe uh, would give you access to usually, you know, five to six free uh, therapy sessions um, that could really help just really um, address anxiety in the ways that Janelle beautifully mentioned, um, some mindfulness um, pieces to really uh, speak to the anxiety directly. I'm really thinking about the importance of um, what I call, what we call or consider the mind, body, uh, spirit, holistic approach, um, making sure um, that you have things in place that nurture your physical body as a priority, you know, the water intake, sleeping and that sort of thing, um, eating well, balanced nutritious meals, which can really be impacted when you're feeling anxious. A lot of times appetite may go and you may have issues with sleeping, um, but if you could, you know, be careful to monitor how the physical responses are going and try your best to implement routines that will allow you to physically nurture, um, as well as all the mental health pieces, um, getting connected to a therapist and um, implementing some of the strategies that Janelle mentioned, I think um, would be uh, at, at a lot of value in terms of how you're able to manage your symptoms. And then that spiritual piece, which, you know, some folks consider religious and that's fine too. You know, um, if you have access to, um, you know, a mosque or temple, uh, church, prayer, if, if those are pieces that you uh, practice, um, as well as, you know, considering meditation or yoga can be spiritually fulfilling um, as well. And so th those are what I would offer. Thank you again for your service. Thank you so much. And um, thank you for everyone who asked those questions and hopefully our panelists um, answer them as well as I think they answer them. <laughs> um, now, I just want to say we only have a few more minutes. Uh, so if our panelists want to give their last remarks in about a minute so we're meaningful um, for time, uh, that would be really greatly appreciated. We can start with uh, Dean Tomiko. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, again, uh, thank you so much for the Center um, for Diversity for hosting this amazing opportunity to have this dialogue. I just really want um, to highlight the solidarity opportunities. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of we're in this together, which I, I really want to connect to the spirit of that and just recognize that one's ability to be in it um, together or not really can be tied with um, privilege and what you have access to or not. Um, and so I, I really want to say that I really am showing up in a spirit of um, how can I help? And if I can support, um, let me know, um, as there are resources available that could really help uh, folks manage all of this very confusing and scary anxiety provoking stuff. Um, I want to 
again, talk a, a bit about the finding meaning piece, because I think that that can be incredibly helpful in all of this and, and being um, very intentional and in taking care of yourself, mind, body, spirit um, as well. And again, um, if there are any opportunities to support anyone that's here or that may listen in the future, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out and um, utilize any of the uh, crisis access lines that have been shared with the group as well. Um, but in the spirit of support, I'll just say um, pay attention to your body um, and your thoughts and how you're doing. Take care of yourself first um, before you reach out to support others. Take care of yourself first. And if there's anything that we can do to be of support, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Piper or Joelle. <laughs> oh, I can say my yeah. So um, I really want to encourage participants and specifically the current students who are on the webinar to um, really do what's best or their self-care that's best for them. Um, I know we talked a little bit about self-care and what that may look like. And I just want to really acknowledge that for some um, self-care may look like organizing and the advocacy that we talked about and the advocacy around COVID-19 resources and what we need to do. And for others that may just be breathing deeply multiple times a day that may just be getting up and moving your body, engaging in exercise. Um, whatever, whatever your situation is, I think it's really important to remember that we're not under normal circumstances. And I think it can be really easy to think about, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to engage in extracurricular activities and new hobbies and all these things, which are fantastic. If that's a self-care activity for you, that's great, but it's also okay if things don't feel business as usual and if you aren't going about your day-to-day -day life business as usual and really um, sit in those feelings or feel the feels for lack of better terms and really acknowledge and understand that it's okay if things don't feel business as usual and it's okay to sit in, the, in those feelings and um, manage your self-care in a way that works best for you. And I'll just say mine as quickly as possible. I agree with everything that was said. Um, and I think that the that part of why I came to Agnes Scott to be a professor is because I want to hear, be here as a resource across the spectrum of wherever my students show up. Um, and particularly for this audience, knowing that I am here to connect if across the spectrum of how you might feel is the best way to engage in a healthy way. That might just be checking in and wanting somebody who you can like check in with. It may be that you walk away from this and you have one takeaway that stays with you. Um, it may be that you want to think about how to respond in an activistic way, in an active way, and you want somebody who's a mentor to support you in that. And that's where I feel immense hope is I know that where we are right now is not where we're going to stay. And that this is not this is not permanent, and that in fact that there's so much hope on the horizon that I'm just looking forward to, and I'm glad that I'm in an environment where I can honestly say that I feel hopeful about what's to come next at a mental health level and at an equity level. Thank you so much. That was such a great note to end on. Thank you so much to all of our panelists that joined us today and gave some very informative dialogue. And to everyone watching, we ended with about 69 attendees. So that's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, just to finalize this, we look forward to emailing um, this 
webinar to all of you so you can have this conversation at your hands whenever you need it. Um, it will also be available on all the podcast platforms. And I feel like I got a lot out of this webinar and I hope you did too. So thank you so much for joining us. Subscribe on your favorite podcast provider and get new episodes as they become available. Thank you.